Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So here we are. Uh, it, the date is Sunday, October 20th, 2019. The Washington Nationals are two days away from playing in their first ever World Series game. Wow. I, I still can't believe it. I still have to pitch myself every morning when I look at like the schedule to see it's... that we're still... October 20th, we're still talking about Nationals baseball. It's still happening. They're still pl- and I've been home this weekend, and it's just been amazing to see. Basically, one out of every three people is wearing something Nats at That's any incredible. given time. It's so cool. I was wearing my uh, Nats World Series hat yesterday on the subway, and I got stopped by this couple who who were from Houston, and it's before the game, uh, and they were like, "Let's hope we see you guys in in the World Series." I'm like, "Let's hope," even though I was rooting for the Yankees, you know. Well, uh, now we, we know that, in fact, the Nats will be seeing the Astros in the World Series. Yes, they uh, will. Game one will be at 8.08 p.m. Uh, in Houston on Tuesday, October 22nd. Now, some of the games are at 8.08 and some of them are at 8.07, and I don't know how they make those distinctions. It makes a huge difference for my schedule. Everything's thrown out of whack now. It's so weird. I, I just, like... What factors go into making the decision about whether a game's going to start at 8.07 or 8.08? Probably TV something. I don't know. Probably like programming beforehand, what time it ends, news. I don't know. It's but very important. Regardless, very they gotta, important. they got to figure out a way to program that one minute, <laughs> apparently. Yes. Um, but, so yeah, game one Tuesday night in Houston. Uh, probable matchup's going to be Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. And I don't think you could ask for a better matchup for the World Series than those two guys. I mean, just you know, game one, Scherzer Cole. Game two, Verlander Strasburg. Game three, Granky Corbin. I mean, this is the probables. Game four, bullpen game versus Sanchez. Uh, it's, I mean, those top three games are, you know, the best of the best. And, you know, that's what you hope to see in the World Series is the best of the best in terms of pitching. And it's, it's nice that, you know, Good pitching is getting good. Starting pitching is going to be highlighted in this series, and it's kind of a nice change of pace from what we've seen in the last couple of years with bullpenning being the focus in the postseason. Well, hey, I mean the 2018 Red Sox. Let's not disregard the fact that they had Chris Sale and David Price. Yeah, and, I mean it was and, a and who else? Well, Eduardo Rodriguez and Rick Porcello, who was good last year, and Nathan Eovaldi, who yeah. was. Good last year and in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, and the Dodgers were a good starting pitching team as well. I mean, they had Ryu, Bueller, and, and Kershaw in 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we have seen a lot of bullpenning in the playoffs. But the teams that seem to have made it far, at least since the 2015 Royals, have mostly been teams with good starting pitching. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, there's still this philosophy, and it's mostly because of cheapness of the bullpen is the way to win games, and it's not. I mean, you have ace starting pitching, you're going to win games more often than not. If the Yankees had a four starter, I mean, they're in the postseason, they're probably going to go to the World Series. Or if they just have anyone better than, you know, I don't know. They, they, if, if they had spent on Corbin this offseason, they're probably still in it. Um, and sure, but you know I, I hear that a lot, and I agree with it. Uh, but by the same token, remember the the Yankees came into this season with a halfway decent starting rotation. 
It's not like they were planning on being a bullpenning team. They had a great bullpen. But they also had Luis Severino. They had James Paxton, who they traded for. You know, rather than signing Corbin, they traded for James Paxton. They had Jay Happ, who they re-signed. They had Sabathia, who they re-signed. They weren't expecting to come into the season. And obviously Tanaka was still there. They weren't expecting to come into the season as a bullpenning team. But they had injuries. They had ineffectiveness. And they sort of were forced into it. So it wasn't really a cheapness thing for them. As a matter of fact, the team that really cheaped out with their rotation this year of the two, of the Yankees and Astros, was the Astros. That's true, when they didn't offer Charlie Morton a QO. Right, made no um, effort to re-sign him. Nope. He, he got $30 million over two years. He was an ace for that money. I mean, they knew what they had in Morton. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to imagine they thought... You know, we created a monster with, with Morton. We can do it again with some other prospect. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, but they were able to fix that and go out and get Granky at the trade deadline. But they gave up a lot of money for that, and they also gave up a lot of prospects for Granky. So right. I ended up biting them in the butt pretty pretty uh, major. Well, and they still could have gotten Granky. If they had gotten Granky and still had Morton, they would yeah. be even more unbeatable than they are. Oh, yeah. It is. It's just so odd that... A team like the Astros, a team that spends so much money on the rotation and has such a complete team, couldn't find a passable fourth starter. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had Wade Miley, but Miley was terrible down the stretch. He was pretty good all year long, but he was terrible down the stretch. And it's just, it's so odd to me that, that a team like that couldn't find a passable fourth starter. Mm-hmm. It's also the fact that they, you know, as you, we've talked about this before, but, you know, the Astros are always lauded for, you know, reinventing people. You know, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, they're able right. to find their stuff. But something you've said often, and I agree with this, is, you know, the, the, their lack of ability to develop a pitching prospect. You know, they had so many top-tier talent who people said, oh, these guys aren't can't miss guys. You know, between, you know, Josh James or... Um, um, Blake Forrest Hanley, Whitley. Forrest Whitley. Um, some of the guys they traded in the Granky deal. You know, those are all guys who were before the season, you know, top-tier prospects, can't miss guys, and they all missed, you know, be it injury or ineffectiveness or even the PCL juice ball. But still, it's, um, you know, you can't be that much of a pitching guru, pitching whispers, if you can't develop your own talent. Yeah, they, I mean, you look at them, all of their starting pitching comes from outside the organization, and before we give them so much credit for turning Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole into ungodly killing machines, got to remember that it's not like this is the first time Justin Verlander's ever been an ungodly killing machine. Uh, and frankly, you got to look at a guy like Cole, and rather than giving the Astros credit for turning him into the ungodly pitching machine, uh, you got to wonder how the Pirates couldn't. Yeah. And I the, think I think with Morton more is is them finding something out with Morton. Um, well, no, I don't know him. if it was something finding something out so much as his fastball velocity went from ninety three to ninety seven miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much of that they deserve responsibility for, but uh, I don't know that that's repeatable. It's not like that's a thing you can do. Yeah. To most pitchers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with Cole, the Pirates had him throwing a ton of two-seam fastballs. They wanted him pitching to contact. The Astros said, no, stop it. You've got an 100-mile-an-hour fastball. 
and a killer slider just throw those but uh, i don't know i mean it, the funny thing is that ray searage who was the pirates pitching coach for the entirety of cole's tenure in pittsburgh had a reputation as sort of being a pitching whisperer himself well, he had the, you know, A.J. Burnett, Francisco Liriano, those guys kind of had a reinvigorated their career right. um, in Pittsburgh. And so that's kind of how the, he got that reputation. I mean, it's almost as if there really isn't that much science to it. It might just be all luck. Hmm, I wonder. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because there are guys that get that reputation. Like, like Don Cooper in Chicago has a reputation for keeping starting pitching healthy. And that lasted up until Michael Kopech blew out his elbow. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, I don't know that you can keep a guy like Kopech healthy. But yeah, the way he throws? Right. But the point is that teams earn these reputations. Coaches earn these reputations. They may be deserved at the time, but you know, it might not be all attributable to the coach, even if it might look that way at the time. And it may not be attributable to the Astros organization that they've had a, a Hall of Famer come in and refine his mojo and a 1-1 overall with an 100-mile-an-hour fastball come in and refine his mojo. So I don't know. Uh, and I think you look to the organization's history of developing its own pitchers as proof of that. I mean, it's, it's interesting, too, because the Nats are very similar in the fact that they – you know, a lot of their pitching talent outside of their 1-1, Strasburg, is all brought in external talent uh, between Scherzer, Corbin, and Sanchez. Right. So, I mean, these two teams are very similar just in terms of how they play, you know, their style. And, um, you know, but the Astros are just, you know, on paper better. Right. In every aspect. You look at it. The Nats and Astros, you're right, they play a very similar game. The one difference... In their styles of play as home runs. The Astros are third in the league. They had 288 home runs this year. The Nets had 231, which was 13th. Uh, but in terms of their offensive profile, other than that, the Nets are in the upper half in the league in walks. The Astros are first. The Nets are second in the league in OBP with a 342 OBP. The Astros are first. With a 352 OBP. Now, obviously, the Astros get the DH, and so that plays into things. Uh, but still, the uh, the Astros or the Nats are sixth in OPS. The Astros are first. the The Astros basically are first in almost every category in in their league and in baseball. They're first in average OBP. Slugging, OPS. They're only second in ERA, but they are first in hits allowed, first in runs allowed, first in walks allowed, first in strikeouts. They yeah, as, as a team this year, they had an 848 OPS. Amazing. That's insane. It's that's their average player had an 848 OPS. I mean, so it's a, it translates to a 119 OPS plus, which is insane. But you look at what they did in even they were even better in 2017. Uh, they had a 123 team OPS plus, and for a while before they slumped a little bit in September, it was up near 130. 
It's insane. Yeah, I mean, but now they have the pitching to match. Mm-hmm. They are a team with with apart from their fourth starter, very few flaws. Yeah. Uh, but the Nats have already played a team that was structurally very similar to both themselves and to the Astros and the Dodgers. The Dodgers had a great top three in their starting rotation. They didn't have a fourth starter either. Uh, they had a very deep lineup with great left-right balance. They were an 106-win team. The Astros won 107. And the Nats managed to beat the Dodgers. Now, mm-hmm. they managed to beat them in a short series, in a five-game series in which they utilize a lot of starting pitching in relief. They may not have fared as well in a seven-game series against the Dodgers. Uh, but the point is, it's seven games. The Nats are a very good team. They have the flaw in the front end of their bullpen. But apart from that, they're, they're pretty well-constructed. I don't want to yeah. say, you know, I don't want to say that the Nats, they're not favorites by no, any means. I'd say it's about 60-40. That's where I yeah, would put it as well. That's where 538 also puts it. Um, I think that's pretty right. Um, I know Vegas disagrees. I know Vegas Vegas it, puts them as the biggest underdogs in the 07 Rockies, and I disagree which, with that. Which, I mean, still, if you look at the line, it's only 2-1. to one. So it's not as though it's that different from 60-40. Yeah. But the Nats are an underrated team, uh, at least it seems. If you look at their roster, you know, they've got the one big flaw, but they also have a very deep lineup. And they have, and this is not, we're not talking about the Marlins here. The Nationals are a very good team that absolutely deserves to be where they are. It just so happens they're running into this buzzsaw in the Astros. But could they beat them four times in seven games? Sure. A lot, yeah. lot crazier things have happened. Listen, the, the 90 Reds were a much worse team than the Nats are, playing a much better team, maybe a better team, than the 2019 Astros in the Oakland Athletics, and they swept them in four. Weird stuff happens. Small sample exactly. size. Exactly. And um, it's the Nationals, you know, People are always talking about Garrett Cole and, I mean, Justin Verlander and their top two. But the Nats have good neutralizers for those two when Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer. And so, you know, it's just interesting because, as I said before, these teams are just so similarly constructed besides the bullpens. Because, I mean, the Astros' bullpen has been good this year. But though with the injury to Ryan Presley, it makes them a lot more susceptible uh, and a lot more uh, not as strong as they were. But still, they they have a solid bullpen, um, and the Nationals obviously don't. But in terms of starting pitching and offense, you know, similar constructed teams as you, we mentioned the statistic, uh, statistically, and I just think, you know, just a few things break a certain way is going to determine the series. It's not going to be, I don't think it's juggernaut David versus Goliath as much as people are kind of leading it up to be. Right. I think these teams are. Even, I mean, it, it's a yeah. it's a Goliath versus Goliath on steroids type situation. Exactly, uh, and you know, I, I don't want to say that I said that the Nats deserve to be where they are. They're where they are because they caught a couple of breaks. They 
caught the Dodgers in a short season or short series instead of a longer one. They got lucky that Brian Snitker, for some reason, decided to pitch Mike Soroka in Game Three instead of Game One of the NLDS, and so they got to play the Cardinals, who, and let's just say it, they're not a very good team. No. Uh, and I mean, the Nats handled their business; they crushed them. Yeah, I mean, they took they did as best you could do against a, not a great team, and they just completely swept them. Right. And then, you know, they, they're only where they are right now because Michael A. Taylor got hit in the wrist instead of the bat, and Ryan Zimmerman broke his bat, finding a hole in, in center field. Uh, they were four outs away from elimination, and then they were six outs away. But the I point, mean, if you, if you want to say that, but, you know, the Astros got lucky that the Yankees didn't hit at all with runners in scoring position this series. That's like, true. At all. I mean, you, you, know, could, they, you could they make gave the argument... Them, yeah, they gave him plenty of opportunity to beat them, and the Yankees just didn't. Um, so besides from a few defensive miscues that the Yankees made, you know, the Yankees outperformed, I think, the Astros in that series. Um, they outscored them. They outhit them. You know, I don't most think either team played particularly well. No, neither team played particularly well. And, you know, the Nationals have looked pretty good so far in the two rounds. And, and yeah, that's... small sample size. And also, you know, the Yankees, you could say the Yankees are the second best team in baseball. But the Dodgers aren't are nothing to sneeze at. They're a good team too, um, and we beat them. I would I would say the Dodgers might be a better team than the Yankees. Yeah, you can uh, say that. Especially that especially argument. a playoff team. Yeah, definitely. I think you've made the argument several times, both on and off air, that the Yankees' sort of bullpenning approach was very much a hard thing to sustain through three rounds of playoffs. Yep. And this is exactly what happened last night where they had to use Tommy Canley in three consecutive games. who's not very good. You know, and that bat bit them in the butt. Um, you know, you, they got unlucky that they had a rained out and that meant they would have to pitch guys four days in a row. But when your strategy is so embedded to pitching guys every night, you know, it's gonna, these guys aren't going to last so long. People saw Andrew Miller dominate in 2016 and saw that as the new normal when that was really the anomaly. Right. Well, I mean, and, if you remember the Indians from that year, they lost their fourth starter, Danny Salazar. They had to pitch Corey Kluber on short rest twice in that series. Uh, and they, they basically had to rely on their bullpen because they only had three starters. It, it mm-hmm. wasn't the thing that they went into the season intending to do. Uh, I mean, Andrew Miller was fantastic. But it wasn't – it's not a sustainable plan. And, and for most of these teams, including the Yankees, by the way, as I mentioned, this is not the original plan. No. This is the fallback. And, and the Yankees were the only team currently around in the playoffs that could – that had the arms to even do this. None of these other teams really have great bullpens. The Astros have a good bullpen. It's probably – I don't know where it is without Presley, but but you know if Presley's gone, and I I don't know if they've announced it, but I think that he is. No, they they Hinch thinks he'll be back tomorrow. Well, that's unpleasant. But yeah, but uh, he he hasn't been effective in the playoffs. He hasn't been himself. No, uh, between him and Harris and Ozuna, they're really three deep in the bullpen. 
Mm-hmm. Osuna just gave up a home run yesterday, but he, he looked fantastic. He just – DJ LeMahieu beat him on a 3-2 fastball on a 10-pitch at bat. But you can beat this team. Not to I, – I don't remember what exactly we were talking about before this, but I, I'm just looking at this team. They are beatable. They're, yeah. they're not – this is not, again, like, I don't know, the 27 Yankees versus the 2019 Tigers or anything like that. The The Nats have the – all they have to do, really, is get – and they, they only have to beat Verlander and Cole once in a seven-game series to win the series. And when they've got their arms on the mound, when they've got Scherzer and Strasburg – the margin of error for the Astros is going to be equally small. You know, if the Nats get two runs off of Verlander, that might be enough to win the game. Mm-hmm. I think the main thing for the Nats that they have to do to beat the Astros is really, you know, and it's a hard thing to do, but the Astros are a team that's really tied to the home run. You know, that's how they score their runs. So far in the postseason, more, you know, I'd say about 80% of their runs, I'm looking this up right now as we're talking, but I think about 80% of their runs have been scored on the home run. Um, they're not a team that kind of generates offense in that way where, you know, like they'll string together hits like the Nats do, where they can put up a crooked inning because they keep, you know, next line up, next man up mentality, line keeps moving. It's they get two guys on by a walk or hit, and then someone hits it out. And it's a tall task to do against the Astros. I mean, they were third in baseball with a home run, um, and they were, they're right now second in the postseason with 14 home runs. But that's the way that you can beat them. And I think, you know, with the de-juiced baseball especially, mm-hmm. it's a big edge for the Nationals, a team that's not necessarily so much worked around with the juiced baseball. And right. also the fact that they're going to be playing three games in the cold, frigid D.C., and it might be raining, uh, might really help the Nats too with, you know, just the ball not flying as much. Yeah, I mean, the Nats are the... Apart from maybe the Cardinals, obviously the Nats are much better than the Cardinals. The Nats are the team that most benefits from a de-juiced baseball. Because with the Astros, their starting staff gets a ton of strikeouts. The Nats do too. But, the, I mean, Verlander gave up a whole bunch of home runs and still managed to be effective this season. Uh, the Nats, as an offense, are not nearly as reliant on the home run as the Astros are, and the Nats have a starting pitching staff that can take advantage, especially with Anibal Sanchez, uh, of a an unjuiced ball. So, and, and frankly, Scherzer, who uh, he's, he's gotten over his home run bugaboo mostly. It's not like it was back in 2016 when the only way you would get Scherzer would be on a home run. But he certainly still does give up his share of home runs. And if he can be a little less fine and can afford to be a little less fine, that would be good. So I just looked this up. Um, in the ALCS, the Astros scored 68% of their runs off the home run. Right. So their team, yeah, their team that gives up, you know, scores a lot of their runs off of the home run. And if, if you can limit that, you know, Nats Park will play big this time of the year. So far it has. Um, I think that's a big, big advantage to the Nationals. So, uh, one other thing I want to say about the Astros. The Astros don't really run a lot as no. a team. I mean, they're, 
they're somewhere in the middle of the pack in the AL. They, they stole 67 bags this year, but they didn't have anyone who stole more than 10, and that was Jake Marisnik, who was not going to see the field a ton, uh, except maybe against Corbin. But you look at this team, and you look at the Cardinals, and the Cardinals ran wild against the Nats, basically any time they got on base. But because the Cardinals were so good offensively, or so bad offensively, <laughs> that, I mean, they were on base maybe in a stealing situation maybe three times the entire series. So I, I don't think that, I mean, the Nats can't really throw anyone out. The Nats no. have Kurt Suzuki, who's got a bad wing, and couldn't throw anyone out beforehand behind the plate. I mean, they're going to have him behind the plate for game one with Scherzer starting. And they've got Jan Gomes, who has also seemed to struggle throwing runners out. Uh, and that's probably more attributable to the pitching staff. But the point is, the Nats don't really have an advantage because the Astros don't run. Uh, it's such a small part of the modern game, especially with a team as reliant on the home run as the Astros are. I, I mean, the Nats did a very good job in the Cardinals series of recognizing that they could let the Cardinals steal as many bases as they wanted to, they weren't going to score anyway. Uh, mm. And so conversely, the Astros do a good job recognizing generally that they don't need to steal bases to score because you know a runner on first is scoring position for them. So if the Nats are going to win this series, they're just going to have to keep the Astros bats as quiet as possible i wonder if we will see the nats run more often in this round because so far they haven't even attempted a stolen base um the astros aren't necessarily a great team they have an 18 percent caught stealing percentage this year as a team um well the league the league average is 27 so they're below average team at holding runners on so it'll be interesting to see with turner and hopefully robles now getting that week off which is huge for robles too that he gets the week off and can fully rest his hamstring, seeing them running more often against you know Torinos or Maldonado. What's so uh, funny? I mean, even in terms of roster construction, like Torinos, the the Astros have a catching tandem where one of the catchers is an all hit, no glove guy with terrible framing numbers, Torinos, and the other one is an all glove, no hit guy. Uh, obviously Gomes wasn't expected to be that guy, but he's been that for most of the season. Uh, and Maldonado was brought in specifically to be that guy. So it's, it's just right down to those little things. Like the Astros have an MVP, MVP candidate at third. The Nats have an MVP candidate at third. Uh, the Astros have a really talented shortstop who missed time with injury this year at short. The Nats have a really talented, uh, shortstop who missed time with injury. Uh, the Astros just, have an MVP third baseman. The Nats have an MVP third baseman. Right. Yeah, it's it's just it's really funny because these teams are, are very similar in a lot of ways. Just the Astros seem to be a little better even at the Nats' strengths. But mm -hmm. that doesn't make it impossible. No, I mean, so, you know, looking at just how the Astros have been this postseason, they haven't looked that sharp. I mean, the Rays... Took them to five, um, and that was a lot because of Verlander pitching on short rest and um, not being as sharp. Uh, 
And the Yankees, I would say, outplayed them, even though they didn't win. I mean, they scored more or whatever. The Astros are beatable. If it bleeds, they can win. And it bleeds. And so... It um, has bled. It has bled. So, they, I think they have, you know, this postseason, they've looked worse than the Nats have. Yeah. Uh, and I just think... I think people are overestimating them and underestimating the Nats, especially in the national media and everyone around that. And this might be because I'm a homer, but I feel like I'm pretty hard on the Nats, generally well, speaking. I, I mean, I think we were we were right about the Dodgers series. We were right mm-hmm. that the Dodgers were slight favorites, but it wasn't as exaggerated as people or the 93 to 106 wins would have you suggest. Uh, and we were right that the Nats could beat them in a short series doing exactly what they did. Yeah. Uh, so. And also, you know, not to be overlooked is this week off allows the Nats pitching staff to get full strength again. Yeah, especially Corbin. Able, I especially think it's super Corbin. important for Corbin. Exactly, because Corbin was a guy who was kind of faltering, especially, I mean, after the fourth inning on Tuesday, he kind of lost all command. And I think it's a lot with him pitching in relief and then starting and then you know, not knowing exactly when he his next appearance would be. Exactly. So, I don't know. I think this is a lot more of a closer series than than people are really giving it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and one little note, one fun little note. Uh, this is only the second series of all time, second World Series, that features two teams that were not among the original 16 teams uh, when the World Series started being played uh, in 1903. Well, the last one was 15, right? 15 was the first one, yep. Oh, 15 was the first one, yeah. This is only the second. Man, so, that's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, the, the Nats were established, you know, such 69. as it is in 69, Astros in 62. So they're both expansion franchises. Yeah. Uh, and so... Just moving on to our last little closing segment, uh, I have a question to pose to you, and that question is, how disappointed will you be if the Nets don't win the World Series, and what would it take for you to be disappointed about it? Is there a scenario where the Nets either play so badly or below a chance that they should have had uh, that would make you upset? So... If they let's go out and lose in like six games, a hard-fought series, I won't be. It's it's hard to be disappointed at this point, but it's also gonna be hard not to be disappointed if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, if they come out and just get swept and they get steamrolled, and I'm at game four and I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> then yeah, it's disappointing and I'll kind of be upset. But it's also you know you kind of enjoy the ride and everything. If the Nats like blow a three-one series lead, I'll be upset. You know, there's plenty of ways that it would be disappointing if the Nats didn't win the World Series. And there'd be a couple ways that it wouldn't be disappointing if the Nats don't win the World Series. Um, It's, you know, this is the Astros. They're the best team in baseball. They're a dynasty at this point. Um, They're going to be the best team in baseball probably for years to come, uh, depending on how they, what they do. I mean, they're probably losing Cole this year. I mean, they're losing Cole this year and their pitching staff can get older and they haven't developed talent. So that's a huge question there, but their offense is still, you know, Solid. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. only Altuve is under contract for an extended period of time. Uh, Correa and Springer could be gone soon. It's yeah. it's not a guarantee that this is going to be some sort of 
impregnable dynasty. I mean, remember, they, you know, are, are sort of reaping the the consequences of the way they treated their players early on. Uh, they had a, a long history of not uh, trying to lowball players with well below market extensions in order to get them up to the big leagues. And they did that really before it was standard practice for any team but John say the Rays. John Singletary, what's up? John Singletary, Jonathan Singleton. John Singletary. Singleton. John Singletary is a football coach. No, Mike Singletary is a football Mike coach. Mike Singletary. Who am I thinking of? I don't know, John. Some guy named John Singletary. <laughs> You're a good friend of yours, apparently. Uh-huh. John Singleton. Yes, Jonathan Singleton. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how much that impacts things, but it is notable that other than Altuve, who did not sign a below-market extension at all, uh, they really have not been able to negotiate extensions with their players. No. I mean, Bregman's under contract, isn't he? Bregman got a $100 million deal. Yeah, got, uh, and Verlander got a two-year extension. Yeah, but it's not. But yeah, they could. I mean, Reddick. I mean, not Reddick. I mean, uh, uh, Springer could leave. Correa could leave. Who knows? Right. But I mean, right now, as this team is right now, they're a, a juggernaut on paper, and you know, it's hard to be disappointed if the Nats can come up, come up short and can't. Um, can't close it out because they're I mean if you're gonna lose you'd rather lose to the best in the World Series in the World Series you know only one team can win the World Series I'd rather it be us <laughs> but uh you know they have made it farther than I ever thought that they would uh, yeah they were I mean again let's say it they were four outs away from elimination with a runner on first and two outs in the eighth inning facing the best left-handed reliever in baseball. And now they're here. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing. And that was that was I mean, all 19 days ago. Yeah, it'll be 3 weeks from uh game 1. Yeah. Man, it's been a whirlwind. I can't believe it's only been 3 weeks. It seems so long ago. It feels like the Nats have been playing in the playoffs forever. Yeah. I've appreciated this week off, though, because I've been able to catch up on work. Oh, yeah. I've been able I to catch been... up on sleep. That was even more important. Oh, that's also big. I've been falling. I mean, after coming home on Tuesday and after recording the podcast on Wednesday, I was, oh, my God, I had, like, four hours of sleep for, like, three days. Yeah, I've showed up to my, my 9 a.m. class on two to three hours of sleep, like, four out of the last five classes. So yeah. it's been a kind of not fun experience. but Well, it's been fun. Besides it. Yes. I mean, the reason for the lack of sleep has been good. The mm. lack of sleep itself, not so much. But yeah. listen, we don't know that the Nats will ever get back here. Uh, I mean, could be the last chance. I mean, we right. don't know what happens after this year. Yeah. So, in that sense, yes, I understand being disappointed because who knows if they'll ever get this chance again. But at the same time, They've already accomplished something pretty special. They've got something mm -hmm. that they can celebrate without shame. I mean, if you put up a pennant banner, no one is going to shame you for celebrating a small-time accomplishment. Uh, they've already accomplished so much more than I expected out of this year, and so much just in a general sense that, I mean, yeah, it would be disappointing if they don't win at all, but to, to have a pennant 
to get to play in the World Series, for for me and Johnny to to get to see a World Series. Yep. It's pretty amazing. So Yeah. Um so we'll be back after probably game two. Yeah, I uh, think that's the plan. Uh hopefully it'll be a joyous one. I think the goal here is just a split. You know, that's I mean, that's a goal anytime you go on the road, first two games. If if the Nats can split, they're in a good they're in a good spot. If the Nats can split, I would say it's even odds for them to win the series. Yeah. With maybe the only the coin flip being that well, no, they they would have split home field advantage. They'd have three games to two. Yeah, and if the, yeah, if the Nats split, if the Nats are able to split, then that also means you know you're able to beat one of Verlander and Cole, right? And you're gonna face them again. Just you face them each once. If the Nats so that means you split, gotta take, and then they beat, they win the games that they should win. The Corbin, Granky game is sort of a toss up, uh, but the Sanchez bullpen game. Is one that they should win. Mm-hmm. Then they're up three to one in the series. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, obviously the the uh, Astros would have Cole and Verlander going in five and six, but still, it's it's certainly possible. So I mean, yeah, I mean, as I said before, the Nats have a good neutralizer for both too. Yeah. All they so. all they need to do is score more runs against Verlander than Scherzer gives up. And it's it's not or an imp- Strasburg. I mean, yeah, they need to score more runs against one of Cole and Verlander. Is what I meant. Then, then Scherzer. And even if you can do, out. you know, get Cole out at six innings, you know, you're not going to probably score. Cole's going to have one run this postseason. You're not going to score much off of him, unless he's, you know, bad. And he didn't look great his last time out against the Yankees. And he was still good enough to get seven scoreless innings. Exactly. So if you can work counts, I mean, the the game plan for the Nats should be to work counts and kind of. Make them throw their pitch to you. And, you know, the Yankees kind of had this approach against the Astros of swinging early in the counts, and I don't think that was the right approach against the Astros. Well, at the same time, with Garrett Cole, if you get the two strikes, it's not going to go well for you. No. But. I mean, it's hard to hit Garrett Cole just in general. He is. He's the best pitcher in baseball right now. He's on one of those runs. You know, yeah. the sort of once every couple of years runs that you see from a pitcher where they are unhittable and they mm-hmm. they almost will their team. I mean, Arietta had one in 15. Uh, I mean, I can't really remember one other than that. Where, where it's, I mean, it, it's been basically since May that he's been untouchable. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. I, I mean, he's the Cy Young Award winner. He's the best pitcher in baseball. This is a really good team. There's no shame in getting shut down by Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander. But no. uh, win one of those two games, whoever you can. Come back to D.C., tied in the series, and you've got a real shot. Yep, that's all you can ask for. Yep. So we will, again, we'll see you guys probably uh, Thursday. All right, well, we'll see you Thursday.